Thanks for tuning in to Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. Billy Graham, probably the greatest evangelist known to man, said this. If a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. And so we're beginning a series today called Smart Money, where we're going to get God's instructions on how to manage his resources his way. And you know, there's probably no other issue that I can think about that creates more personal stress, splits up more marriages, separates more friends, motivates more crime, and creates more sinful behavior than money. That may be why there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that discuss our attitude towards possessions. That's probably why the Bible contains five times the amount of references about the use of wealth than it does the subject of prayer. That's why Jesus spoke more about money, listen, than he did heaven and hell combined. That's crazy. God wants us to get our attitude toward possessions correct. And that's why he said in Matthew 6, don't don't store up treasures for yourself here on earth. No, store your treasures in heaven. Wherever your treasure is, he said, there the desires of your heart will be also. That's why he said in Luke 12, beware. He said, guard against every kind of greed. Life's not measured by how much that you own. And so guys, what we do with the things that God has given us is very important to him. You may not think about it a lot, but it is. And that's why we're going to talk about it. But this series won't be focused just on giving, but it's going to be on the overall way that we manage the resources that God has entrusted to us. The Bible word for that is called stewardship. How we manage our money, whether you think of it like this or not, is a spiritual matter. And we all need to be reminded regularly of what God says on this subject. And so what we've decided here at our church we're going to do is at the beginning of each year, we're going to teach through a series of messages on what God says about the way that we manage his money. That's what we do. And so uh, I always joke around, that's when attendance will crash. But it's very, very important. If Jesus talked about it more than heaven or hell combined... We should talk about it as well. And, you know, we do take some criticism from time to time. I heard it last week. All they talk about is money at that church. And the truth is we do one series a year, and then in December we update everybody on our budget. But listen, we're trying to be like Jesus. And if Jesus talked about it a lot, we are too. If the Bible talks about it a lot, we're going to teach through the whole Bible. And so uh, that's kind of where we've landed on that. Proverbs in your Bible in the Old Testament is a great place to gain wisdom about money management. Proverbs is an accumulation of wise sayings from King Solomon, who's probably known as the wisest guy to ever live other than Jesus. And so who better to learn from than him? It's like that quote that Dave Ramsey, Christian financial guru, said. He said, don't ever take money advice from broke people. Okay? And so we're going to take some money advice from the wisest guy who ever lived apart from Jesus. And so we're going to look at some of these different Proverbs, and then we're going to look at a few verses in Ecclesiastes, which is kind of like the journal or the autobiography of Solomon. 
And we're going to learn about having a right attitude towards possessions. Okay, so that's where we're going. So we're just going to begin today with, entitled this talk, Keeping Our Possessions in Perspective. That's where we're going today. And I just want us to see that in God's economy, that the clothes we wear, the, the car that we drive, and the home that we live in, guys, those are just temporary things. But our baptism into Jesus, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, us being God's address, and our relationship with the Lord, those things are eternal. And that's what matters. But you know, many people in our culture, they overemphasize money. And it's difficult not to exaggerate uh, the value of things when, when we live in a culture that evaluates a person's importance, their self-worth based on their net worth. And the people around us each day, they talk about it continually, don't they? I mean, wherever you're at, it's, it's thinking about and talking about money constantly. Our phones run a continual scroll of what the stock market is doing each day. Advertising stimulates uh, our desire to have more and more and more. And then credit makes it so easy just to accumulate a bunch of things that we can't afford. But listen, Christians are told in Scripture, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. And listen, nowhere is that advice needed more than our attitude towards our stuff, our possessions. And you know, most of us as Christians, we, we try to make a deliberate effort to be different from the rest of the world. And the way we talk, in our moral values, in our worship habits, and our spiritual disciplines. But you know what? Many of us are not a whole lot different from the world in our daily attitude toward money. We look very similar to the rest of the world in this one area a lot of times. And so the truth is, you and I need to be aware of the dangers of that. Okay, you need to be alert. And the first step in becoming wise about money is to develop a godly perspective of possessions. So in Proverbs, Solomon warns us. He, uh, he warns us to be alert of some dangers of money. And so I want us to look at some of those that he mentions. And the first one he mentions is this. The first danger, he says, is that possessions can stimulate evil desires and behavior. Heather and I watched a 2020 show last night. She loves like killing shows, real-time killing. She don't want fake killing. She wants somebody to really die. Um, so when we watched those, uh, we watched a good one last night of my brother-in-law's hometown. Somebody he went to class with, and he, he texted us, and he said, Hey, you watched 2020 last night? Like, no, watch it. I went to school with that guy. And we watched it, and it was all evil motivated by money, you know, just paying people to kill other people, just crazy. But possessions can stimulate evil. Evil desires and behavior. Look at it in Proverbs 1, starting in verse 10. Solomon says, My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. They may say, Come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone. Just for fun, let's ambush the innocent. Let's swallow them alive like the grave. Let's swallow them whole like those who go down to the pit of death. Think of the great things we'll get. We'll fill our houses with all the stuff we take. Come, throw in your lot with us. We'll all share the loot. My child, Solomon says, don't go along with them. Stay far away from their paths. They rush, they hurry to commit evil deeds. They hurry to commit murder. If a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. 
But these people set an ambush for themselves. They are trying to get themselves killed. And don't miss it here, verse 19. Such is the fate of all who are what? Greedy for money. It robs them of life. Guys, people do crazy, sometimes evil things to get possessions. They, they desire more and more things we can't afford. And it can lead people into all kinds of evil behavior. But in the end, we'll not only destroy others, those scriptures say, it says we'll destroy ourselves. And you know, the desire for things also tempts people into lying and, and deception. Look at Proverbs 21 and verse 6. It says, wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and it's a deadly trap. You know, people lie on their income taxes. They lie on their resumes. They, they lie on their expense accounts. And even though they, they may achieve some temporary success, in the end, they lose their integrity. People lie for possessions. And they say things like, you know what? I don't know anything about that, that 2000 anonymous cash political donation that, that was handed over to me in the dark in a blank envelope. I don't know anything about that. I, I know the check wasn't written to me, but I found it on the ground and I needed the money. So yeah, yeah, I know. I only accept cash for my side hustle. And I don't report it on my taxes because the government already gets enough of my money. But what a deadly trap in the end. Proverbs 16 says, Better to live humbly with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. Well, the desire for possessions tempts people to reject their moral values as well. In Proverbs 15, it says, There is treasure in the house of the godly, but the earnings of the wicked bring what? Going to bring trouble. You know, there are people doing immoral, degrading things to make money. And they can't afford to live on their income. I was reading about one teacher said she was in conflict with God over her only fan site, but she was confident she was forgiven because after all, God sees her heart, is what she said. And she explained that it was simply just about money. That's all it was. That she made more money in a week showing her body to fans than she would make in a year as a school teacher. And she was quoted as saying, what was I supposed to do, she said. Stay at home and watch as they foreclosed on my house? Well, the answer is yes. Yes. Some people have gone to prison for their faith. Surely she could keep her clothes on and trust God to keep his promise to provide for her. Surely. Proverbs 28 says this. Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. Well, the second danger is this. Solomon warns us and says, possessions can create a false sense of security. Look at Proverbs 18. He says, the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be this high wall of safety, he says. And you know, many people work hard and provide a safety net for them and, and for their family. They have a retirement fund and, and a disability insurance and an emergency fund and a, and a 401k. But no matter what we have, guys, it can be taken away from us in a moment's notice, can it? Through a lawsuit, through a divorce, through a stock market collapse. 
And you know, many people put their hope in the uncertainty of, of the stock market, but Wall Street, it's, it's more like riding a roller coaster, you know, ups and downs, and it can make you sick, and it can erode very, very quickly. Look at Proverbs 23, where he says, in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. For it will sprout wings and it will fly away like an eagle. Ever felt like that before? Get that tax return? You're like, man, we're rolling. Next week, like, it sprouted wings and flew away like an eagle. Now, we can imagine that our possessions provide security for us, but it's a false security. God is our security. The third danger that Solomon warns us about, he says, possessions can increase anxiety. In his journal in Ecclesiastes 5.12, he says, People who work, work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. And you, you hear that, you read that, and you think, well, that should be just the opposite. You know, that the more we have, the more secure we would feel, the, the more peace that we would have. But it's not. Just the opposite is true. The more that you and I have, the more we have to protect the more we have to repair, the more we have to paint and insure and store away and pay taxes on. And, you know, Heather had said for years that she wanted this huge sectional couch in our living room because, uh, for one, the leather couches that we had were marinated in dog urine. I'm just being honest, okay? And two, it would block the dogs from, from getting into the living room because it, it was like an L-shape or a U-shaped, I mean. And then three, and most importantly, that we could seat more people for like life groups and family get-togethers and all that. And so I was on board with that. And she saw one that my cousin had, and she loved it. She fell in love with it. And so we ordered it, and after like a nine-month ordeal, it was finally there sitting in our living room. But it's a, it's a real light color. And she wanted to make sure that it remained clean for all of its days, which I appreciate that. But what happened was that the first week, we weren't allowed to even bring water over there, okay? Definitely not food. You did that, you were in trouble. And then after that, we had to take our shoes off if we, we were over there. And before too long, nobody was allowed to even sit, breathe on, look at, or even think about that sectional, okay? Uh, it was kind of like the forbidden tree in the, in the Garden of Eden, you know? It's like on every other couch in the house, you may freely sit. But upon this sectional, you shall not sit. For in the day that you sit thereon, you shall surely die. You can ask my life group. You know, I tell, I tell them Wednesday night, listen, if you guys are sitting from there over on the left side, she's watching you. She is watching you on camera right now, I promise. You better not have food. From here over, you guys are good. From there on, put your food away, okay? I'm just joking. <clears throat> sort of. <laughs> now, we know it's true that the more we have, the, the more pressure that we will have to protect it. The blue-collar worker who drives home after working at the factory is more likely to be at peace in the evening than the broker who has millions invested and can't sleep at night worrying about what the stock market is doing in Japan. People work hard, who work hard sleep well, it says, whether they eat little or much, but it says the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. God's possessions increase anxiety. And the fourth danger Solomon tells us is this, that possessions can lead to ingratitude and a cynical spirit. Look at it in Proverbs 27 when he says this, a person who is full refuses honey, 
But even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. In other words, when we're really hungry, any food tastes good. I mean, I can cook and, and it'll be good. But if we're full, we don't even enjoy the filet mignon. You complain about how it's cooked. And guys, if we have too much of the world's goods, we'll get spoiled. And if we are not careful, nothing will please us anymore. You know, Martha Stewart's net worth is around $400 million. And she said to an interviewer years ago, she said this. She was quoted and said, I have a beautiful weekend house in the Hamptons. But she said, it's not, as it turns out, my summer dream house. It doesn't have the view of the ocean that I absolutely want. It doesn't have the rustic wood floors that I absolutely crave. She said, it doesn't have a little dock to which I can untie my little rowboat. And it doesn't have the shallow water of a quiet lagoon where I can pick my plants. Guys, no matter what you've got, it can't satisfy. And if she's not satisfied with that, good night, right? No matter what we have, it will not satisfy. The country music group, Diamond Rio, they had a song where the lyrics said, it's a treasure until it's mine, and then it's not worth a dime. Ecclesiastes 5 tells us, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Okay, so what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? And the last one I want to share is this. He says the fifth danger is that possessions can invert our priorities. They can invert our priorities. They, they can become an obsession. And then they can crowd out Jesus. And they can crowd out family and the things that are really important. Happens all the time. Proverbs 23, verse 4, Solomon says, don't, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Just be content. Be wise enough to know when to quit, he says. And you know, many young people start off with noble ambitions, don't they? They want to have enough money to provide for their family, and they want to make a name for themselves, and they want to have a Christian testimony. But it's not long before the desire for possessions consumes them, and then they wear themselves out. And not only that, they wear their families out. They begin to alienate friends. They neglect their family. They excuse themselves from church, and they begin to disobey God. That's why when the children of Israel were about to enter the promised land, Moses warned them. He said, listen, when you eat and are satisfied and you build fine houses and you settle down, your herds and your flocks, they grow large and your silver and gold increases and all you have is multiplied, he told them. He said, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do when that happens. You're going to forget the Lord your God. That's what he said. Proverbs 30, the second part of verse 8. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult the holy name of God. And so he gives us five dangers to watch out for possessions that we should take heed. But you know what? I'd like to flip to the other side of the coin now. Okay, let's flip to the other side. Because while the love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all kinds of evil, 
Money's not evil in and of itself. It's just the love of money is. But using money correctly, guys, that can be a tremendous spiritual asset. Solomon does warn about some spiritual dangers of wealth. But there is also incredible potential for good in wealth as well. So I want to share both sides of the story, not just one or the other. And we need to recognize the value of money as well. So let's talk about that real quick, okay? The first thing is this. We need to realize that money can be a reward of obedience. It can be a reward of obedience. Look at Proverbs 3 and verse 1. Solomon says, My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you'll live many years and your life will be satisfying. And so the Bible does teach that God often blesses people financially if they walk in obedience. Now, we don't emphasize that at times because of the prosperity gospel preachers who have exaggerated it, and they've left the impression that if we're righteous, then we will always, we're always going to get rich. Listen, that is not in the Bible. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if we will walk with God, that he will bless us. That's what the Bible teaches, okay? But in God's economy, relationships, character, and wisdom are far more important blessings than money, all right? So the Bible doesn't teach that if we're obedient, God will always make us financially wealthy. That's not true. But it does promise that in the long run, God blesses those who walk in obedience, and sometimes that includes possessions. You think about guys in the Bible like Abraham or David or Moses and Daniel. Those were all wealthy people. Malachi said that if you and I would tithe out of every $10 we get, if we'd give one back to God, one-tenth, that God would open the windows of heaven and he would pour out blessing in your life. Jesus said uh, that when we give, it will be given to us. The Apostle Paul said, we will reap what we sow. So, so wealth can be gained by evil methods, I get that, but sometimes possessions are God's tangible reward for being faithful. Look at it in Proverbs 21. Solomon said, whoever pursues righteousness and love, they find life, prosperity, and honor. Proverbs 22, humility is the fear of the Lord. It's wages and riches and honor and life. So prosperity is not evil in and of itself. It can be evidence of God's blessing in our lives. The second thing I want you to note is this. Money can provide a reasonable sense of security. Okay, key word there, reasonable. Look at it in Proverbs 10. The wealth of the rich is their fortress. The poverty of the poor is their destruction. So wealth can be like a fortress. It can provide a sense of security. Now, it can be a false sense of security if it's desired too much. That's true. But listen, if we have enough to provide food, shelter, clothing, and a reasonable lifestyle for our family, that's a source of security. You know, I read this week that the average American dies with only $1,200 in their savings account. That's it, the average American. And it made me think of Proverbs 21:20, where it says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. They just spend it. 
And you know what? If we don't have to lie awake at night wondering how we're going to feed our family and clothe our kids, how they're going to pay for all their college education, and, and you've got some degree of security, guys, that's a blessing. That's a blessing in life. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 12, it says, Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. The third thing is this. Money can be a source of joy. It can be a source of joy. Look at Ecclesiastes 5.19. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this indeed, he says, is a gift from God. In other words, if, if we're happy in our job and God gives us enough possessions to provide for our families, and you know, we enjoy what he's given us, we're not always jealous about what somebody else has, guess what? We're the rich kid after all. If all those things are true of you, you're the rich kid after all. That is wealth. And I've said this here before, but being rich is not always the one who has the most. Being rich is the one who needs the least. I got Heather something for Valentine's uh, Day, and that's Wednesday, by the way, guys. You're welcome. If you forgot, you better get on it. But uh, that she's been wanting for a long time, and she wasn't going to be here on Wednesday, so I just went ahead and gave it to her this weekend. But when she opened it up, she loved it. She'd been wanting, asking for this for a while now. And when I saw that brought her joy, that brought me joy that she loved it. And I think that's what, how God looks at us. I think God wants us to enjoy the things that he's given us. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, he said, Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. He said, no, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for what? For our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy it. And if you enjoy what you have, okay, instead of being jealous about what others have, that's a blessing. It is. God likes to give us good gifts. And when we are grateful and we are content, we really honor God by our attitude. Guys, there's always going to be people who have more than us. There will always be people who have less than us. But let's just be content and thankful and enjoy the gifts that God has given us. In Proverbs, it says that money also has another blessing I want to share with you. It says money can be used to develop friendships. In Proverbs 19.4, it says wealth makes many friends. Poverty drives them all away. Now, some people think that Solomon was being sarcastic there. You know, like, well, the rich have a lot of so-called friends, but, but they'll desert him when he's poor. I guarantee you that, you know. But the scriptures make it clear that the proper use of resources can be a source of establishing and deepening relationships. In Luke 16, verse 9, it says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others. And what? Make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. And so, guys, listen. If you have the gift of mercy and you comfort someone, that gift will be a source of friendship. If you have the gift of generosity, that gift can be a source of friendship. 
And so using our gifts can sometimes establish and nurture deep friendships. Now, there's a whole lot more to friendships than that, but that is one way the Lord says it can be used and be a blessing to other people at times, okay? But we still need to to realize that possessions have limitations. And so what we just did was walk through four things that money can't do. And I want us to close this morning by looking at three things that Proverbs teaches that all the money in the world cannot do. Okay, we looked at what it can do. Let's real briefly run through three things that it can't do. You ready? First one is this. Money can't make you happy. Money cannot make you happy. And we hear the opposite of this a lot. Right? You ever heard anybody say, well, I know what the Bible says, but I'd sure like to try. You know, wouldn't you? Just try me, Lord. Let me see if it can make me happy. Bless me. Hook me up. Right? But it can't. It can't make us happy. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this. That those who love money, what? will never, ever have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Proverbs 15, 16, better to have little with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. Guys, some of the most miserable people in the world have all kinds of resources, but there are problems And there's trouble, and there's conflict in their family every single day. Proverbs 17.1 backs this up. Better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. You've seen it. Haven't you seen families ripped apart by the settlement of an estate? Or somebody borrowed money and they didn't pay it back and now there's this lawsuit. If you're going to be a happy person, you've got to recognize that relationships are way more important than possessions. I heard of a story of a dad whose son in his 20s committed suicide. And a few years before that, another child that they had adopted was killed in a vehicle accident. And the dad was, was telling the story of their family vacation where his new son-in-law was trying to back a boat down the dock and then he put it in the water and he was using his father-in-law's new Jeep. Well, he didn't know really how to use it properly and he didn't put it in the right gear and, and, the, and the boat, the trailer, and the Jeep all got sucked into the water and completely submerged. And the dad said, When I got to the scene there, I saw what was happening. I pulled up in my Jeep. They were just now pulling it out, and it was gorging water. And he said, my son-in-law was just over there on the bank with his head in his hands, and he said he was just absolutely devastated. And the dad said, I was so emotional, so thankful that he hadn't drowned, and I wanted to comfort him. He said, I knew he felt terrible. And so he said, I just walked up, and I put my arm around him, and I said, listen, You've got to understand, he said, when you lose what this family has lost, it's just a Jeep, and Jeeps don't matter. Jeeps don't matter. And some of you today may be sitting here, and you are at odds with the people who ought to be close to you over a Jeep. And you're never going to be happy until you recognize They're just things. They're just things. Ecclesiastes 6.3. 
a man might have a hundred children and live to be very old. But if he finds no satisfaction in life and doesn't even get a decent burial, in other words, nobody in his family cared about him, it would have been better for him to be born dead, the Bible says. Guys, what good are all those things if we don't love each other? If we don't love each other, they don't matter. He said, it's just a Jeep. You know, last Tuesday, I was headed out. I had to go to a board meeting, and I had my mind on what was going to be presented there and, and what, what I need to say and all that job. And uh, I backed out of our garage, and as I backed out, I didn't even look behind me. I mean, I was speeding up, and I nailed Maddox's car. I drove right into it and dented the bumper all to pieces, you know, and dented my bumper as well. And I thought, God's just trying to slow me down. I know it is, but I felt awful. And so I called him up on my way, and I said, listen, buddy, you're going to be ticked. But I just rammed your car, and I hit it hard, and I was accelerating, and I'm sorry. And I figured he'd be like, Dad, i got to drive that to college every day. Come on, man, you're killing me. What, what were you thinking? Why didn't you look? What happened? Nothing. You know what he said to me? He says, it's okay, Dad, it happens. I was like, oh, okay, bye. But um, <laughs> that's what he said. He said, it's okay, Dad, it happens. And I was like, a lot of grace there. In other words, from a young man, he's saying, it's just a Jeep. It's just a Jeep. It's not Jeep, it's a Toyota, but you get it. Second thing is this. Money cannot give you character. Money can't give you character. Money's no substitute for character. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver? You know, I read about a conservative publisher of a magazine in Dallas, Texas several years ago who was flipping through an advanced copy of his latest issue. And when he got there, he was shocked to see there were two advertisements in there that what he considered to be just obscene. He was offended. But copies were already on their way to the newsstands. And so what he did was he ordered the trucks to make a detour straight for the local recycling center. And that entire monthly issue, all 70,000 copies were disposed of and the material recycled. And the Wall Street Journal said it was just a waste of money. It said it was a costly decision. But then they quoted that honor, justice, and reputation were more important to him than profit. Proverbs 16, 18. Better to have little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. And the last one I'll mention is this, and the most important. Guys, money can't save you. Money cannot save you. Proverbs eleven four. Listen to it. Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. Guys, when our life is over and we stand before God, all of the money in the world is not going to be important then. When we stand before God, we're going to say, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world can offer. What's going to matter on that day is our relationship with the Lord, and that's it. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Trust in your money, and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. You know, I was thinking this past week of all the people who died last year. 
And so I just kind of did a Google search and looked up, looked up some of them. But there was a lot of people who died last year. Famous people, rich people. Matthew Perry, co-star of the sitcom Friends, died at age 54 in a hot tub. Jimmy Buffett, singer-songwriter, died at age 76. Tina Turner, known as the, the queen of rock and roll, at age 83. Pat Robertson, you know, who, a conservative media personality who turned this local radio station into the largest Christian broadcasting company in the country, died at age 93. Bob Knight, legendary basketball coach at Indiana at age 83. Rosalind Carter, former first lady at age 96. Paul Rubens, who played Pee Wee Herman at age 70. And you know, every one of these people, rich, famous, powerful, some of them Christian, some not. But one thing is certain. They all left it all behind. And when they stood before God, the things that they had, the possessions in their life, guys, those didn't matter. They didn't matter. But if they had a relationship with Jesus, that was priceless. One day, your name and mine will be on that list. And when that time comes, money is not going to matter. Jesus is the only one who will matter. Guys, all the money in the world can't save us. And Jesus said it clearly in Mark chapter 8 in verse 36. He said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but yet you lose your soul? He said, is anything worth more than your soul? And so listen, value the things that are of eternal significance. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you haven't received his forgiveness and his promise of eternal riches, I want to invite you today to do that, to just give your life to him. And, and just frankly, can I ask you, what is holding you back? What is holding you back? Are you ready to follow Jesus with your whole heart and then join the 10 or so other people who are waiting to get baptized here on Easter Sunday? There's no better day than today because the truth is, guys, we're not promised tomorrow. All those people on that list I, I read off, they didn't know they were going to go that day. None of us are promised tomorrow. And I'm not trying to talk you into it because I know if I can talk you into it, Somebody else someday can talk you out of it. But if you know that God is speaking to your heart this morning, and he's saying, come on, come on, jump in. Come, come follow me. I've been chasing you for a long time. Would you just surrender and throw in the white flag? Would you, would, would you just trust me with your life? He's saying, I'll forgive your sins. I'll give you a purpose if you would just repent and follow my son Jesus. Would you do that today? Would you just commit to following him, asking him to save you, and then tell somebody about it immediately afterwards? Would you do that today as we stand and sing this last song together? Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park building. We hope to see you soon.